So we are beginning this new series right now from Second Peter, and the, the image and the title of this series tries to describe what we think is the central theme of this letter of Second Peter, a lamp in the darkness. And if you've ever been in the dark and someone has turned on the lights, you'll know that in that very moment when the light switch clicks, a lot can be revealed. So I was up at night recently, and I like to think that I'm quite a stealthy individual, really, uh, almost mythical cat-like ability to, to creep around unnoticed and navigate in the dark. But uh, somehow, on my way back to the bed in the middle of the night, I did manage to disturb my wife. I don't know how that happened. And she turned on the lights, and when she turned on the lights, she found me in the corner of the room trying to get inside of a chest of drawers. I guess maybe I'm not quite as good at this stuff as I thought I was. It is very, very difficult to find your way without a light. Simple point. Of course, if you're a little bit younger than me, instead of using the bathroom at night, you probably go out. Do you remember that, some of you? <laughs> go out to a, a nightclub or a dancing hall, depending on the generation that you're in. And uh, if you have been out at all clubbing, you will know that what do they do at the end of the night when they want to get rid of you? When they've had enough of all of the customers or their license has run out or whatever, what do they do? They turn on all of the big lights in the room as a sort of sign. Soon as they do this, soon as the big sort of utility lighting goes on, the mood in the room is completely destroyed. And, and this room that looked so glamorous before is suddenly revealed in all of its squalor. Um, at least at my university, broken glass on the floor and other things. And uh, suddenly, a lot of the people in there look a bit more plain than they did a few moments ago. And uh, maybe so do you. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? This is why they keep it dark. That's why they do these things. Things in the dark that might have had some luster or some shiny appeal, some comparative glow, when a brighter light shines, are suddenly revealed for what they really are. And in Second Peter, the darkness is the, is the world around us. That's what he means when he says the darkness or the dark place. The darkness in Second Peter is the place where we blunder around and where we get hurt and uh, where we pursue things that are, in fact, not all that great. And the lamp in Second Peter is, is the gospel. It is the light that, that shines. And uh, there are positive and negative things, Peter will say, that occur when the light shines. There, there are, of course, the lost who are suddenly found, but there are also those who realize the things that they've been craving are really no good. And there are those who attack when the light shines because they don't like it. All of these different themes Peter will explore in his letter. So uh, let's turn to it. Let's turn to 2 Peter. We're actually going to look at 2 Peter and that gospel reading from Matthew. Jump a little bit between the two, but let's go to 2 Peter initially. And uh, he does what, what was very common in the day, is he, he explains who he is. He gives his name, he gives his credentials, explains why it is the recipients of this letter should want to listen to him. And uh, then he states who the intended recipients are as well. So just setting the scene today with these two verses. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon, Ben noticed this. Took me several days to notice. Simeon, not Simon, catches you out. Simeon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Simeon, of course, 
just being the Hebrew spelling of, of that more common name, Simon. And uh, Simon, or Simeon, that was his name, that was this writer's name, until he met Jesus, and Jesus gave to him a new name, Peter, meaning rock. This new name that Jesus gives to Simon, Peter, meaning rock, indicates a lot of things about his character, the kind of person he will be and the kind of things he will do and the role he will have in the church. Now, please don't lose Second Peter because this really is where we are, but I would like to look a little bit more in detail at the meaning of this name and, and how he gets it. So we're going to just jump back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 14. And then we'll come back to Second Peter. I commend these little sticky things. I keep three or four in my Bible, and they're just really helpful for days like this. So Matthew 16, 14, Jesus speaking, and he asks this question, who do you say that I am? And this is the question. This is the only question that matters. In all of the world, it really is. Your answer to this question really is the only thing that truly matters. And you can only answer Jesus' question correctly, who am I, if for you the light has come on. If someone has turned on the lights, if God himself has turned on the lights, you can answer this question. If he has not, you cannot. Here are some common responses to Jesus' question from the dark. Who do you say that I am? He's a good moral teacher, and we should do what he says. Well, he's one of many good options, and we should do most of what he says. He is a mere historical construct. You can't really know the real Jesus, but you can extrapolate things about Jesus as a sort of amalgam of different historical figures or, or the personification of different ideals. But he wasn't real. So we should speculate the kind of things he might have said. Uh, he's deluded, dated, or worse, now morally bad. In this day and age, we should reject what he said. Uh, many believe some combination of those things. But Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Definite, singular, unique. Look at all of these articles or definite articles, the, the, the. And then in verse 17, Jesus answered him very quickly, Blessed are you. Not I will bless you, but I already have. You already are blessed. Your response to this question, the only question that really matters, indicates to me, Jesus, that you are blessed. Your knowledge of this truth is the blessing. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. A divine revelation came to you in the dark says Jesus. The, the Greek word here for revelation is apocalypto, uh, meaning, uh, well, like an apocalypse, it means a disclosure. So it describes the unveiling of a thing, you know, a cloth over a statue coming off, and there it is, shining, unveiled, uh, lit up. It's like that, uh, it's, it's the, very similar to the Greek word for the book of Revelation, apocalypsis, the sort of revealing of, of things. For Peter, Spiritually speaking, the lights have come on. He's had a, we say this, a light bulb moment. He's had this sort of flash of lights. And then Jesus says to him, great, now that you've had this blessing, now that the light has shone, you will now become a blessing to others. 
This is always the pattern of Christian discipleship. You don't get a blessing. You don't get the light to then sit there and go, oh, good, I've got it. But you are saved to be sent. You are blessed to bless. Always this activity of receiving from God and then sharing it with others. Constantly there is this flow in Scripture of what it is when Christians come into the light and are activated and then sent out. Peter, in that respect, is is no different to others, though he is a major character. And Jesus says to him, I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter himself, not on his own, together with the other apostles, but Peter will found the church. Peter will become the very bedrock of the church. And actually, uh, we did a switch out at the last minute because the one in my basement wasn't very good. So we took this picture in the church basement. And uh, right underneath you, uh, Don and Susan, is this rock. Right underneath you. It's creepy down there. But this is the actual rock uh, on which our church is built. It's a little bit heavy-handed, this symbolism, perhaps. But uh, there it is, the bedrock of the church. And Peter, like that thing, is holding it up. He's foundational. And Jesus continues, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates of hell tells us that hell is real. It is a place. It has power. But that place and that power will not overcome the church. A battle will ensue. Spiritual warfare will occur. A war will rage between the forces of good and evil and against you and against the church and against the light but the light will prevail. Why do we attract attack? Why does turning on the lights stir things up a bit? The answer is because some people will not like the light. There are those who make money or gain influence by what is peddled in the dark. And the darkness gives to them power. And there are those who spend their money in the dark to purchase what is peddled in the dark. And the last thing they want is to be exposed. Uh, and so the, the darkness masks what it is that they do, and it makes what they do seem comparatively more attractive and more alluring than it really is. And so they will attack the light, and they will do anything to turn it down or make it go away, and they will rage against the bearers of the light. Have you ever been on a night hike with children. Have you ever done this? Now, what is the big draw for kids? If you say, look, we're going to go on a hike in the woods tonight in the dark. What's the big draw for them? Why do they want to do it? What's so fun about hiking at night? The answer is, of course, you get one of these, right? There's the attraction. I know it's not Christmas. It's not really a kid's talk, but, you know, go with it. It's actually quite helpful as my eyes go off. Why didn't I think of this before? <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. Fantastic. It's much cheaper than renovating the building. Kids, kids love, kids love, there we go, just save the church 100 grand. Kids absolutely love lights, don't they? They love these things. And, um, you know, this is the allure. And, and maybe, you know, like us, you've got a drawer full of them. And there's just hundreds of these little things, and they take them with them. And um, what did they do with these things when they got them, do you think? When you were out hiking with them in the dark, what did they do with them? Where did they shine them? <laughs> yeah, right in your face didn't they? And what did you want to do when that blinding light was shining in your face in the middle of the dark? What did you want to do? You wanted to pick that thing up, didn't you, and just like throw it in the woods and be done with it after a certain while, at least 
uh, if you're as unsanctified as I am. The enemy feels the same. The enemy hates to have the light shone in his face. It pains him. And he has less patience than I do. And he will attack the light. A battle will rage and ensue. The minute the lights go on, he is drawn to it and he wants it to go out. It is a battle of light and dark. It is a battle of life and death. It is a battle of heaven and hell. And Jesus says to Peter, foreseeing all of this in verse 19, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. They were not afraid to mix their metaphors. It's very irritating to us in the modern West. The keys and the lamp are the same thing. Why have one metaphor when two would do? What is he talking about? What are the keys? What is the lamp? It is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to give you good news, and that is going to lead people into heaven and out of the dark. And it will draw fire, but it will prevail. And Peter is given authority to proclaim this, authority to share the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's also given authority to practice it. We don't learn the gospel just to know it and sit there with it. We learn the gospel to use it and go out there and share it. So, authority to do the gospel. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven There is authority given to Peter here to shine the light in the darkness and to lead the lost into everlasting life. So this question, who do you say I am, is a big deal. And the answer is a big deal. And Peter is a big deal because he's the first one to get this commission. And if you turn now to the second letter of Peter, to this brief introduction, having described himself Look with me at how he describes you. Look at how Peter describes you. Peter, the rock, the servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, renamed, directly commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to expose the darkness of this world, to fight for the kingdom of heaven, to do spiritual warfare against the very gates of hell, and to build a church that will last and save the lost from the squalor and the suffering of the darkness, that Peter writes to you and describes you as those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. In status, we are the same as Peter. Equal. Exactly the same. Every one of us. If you've been a believer for five minutes and you joined this church recently, If you've been a solid believer for 50 years and you've founded 50 orphanages and become a bishop, you're the same as Peter, the same as one another. Peter thinks you, every one of you, is equal to him. The scholar Michael Green once said, There's no distinction between believers. All alike are sinners who owe their presence in the heavenly city to the amnesty of the king. How is this true? How are we equal with Peter? Which is an extraordinary comment. He writes two books of the Bible. He's a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's directly commissioned and renamed by Jesus. He was there. Have you seen the chosen? He's cool. How are we him? Peter explains, well, not by works, not by finding your way in the darkness, because remember, you were trying to sleep in a chest of drawers a few minutes ago. 
Here's the good news. It's the gospel. We're saved through faith, he says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, pause the story, as Kat would say. This is one of the clearest statements in the whole of Scripture that Jesus is God. You see that? Our God, Jesus, it says here. Jesus is God. It's also one of the clearest statements in Scripture of what Jesus does. He saves us. He's our Savior. He gives to us his righteousness. The righteousness of God himself is given to us in Jesus Christ. If you thought that it was a big deal to have a standing equal to that of Peter, I'll see your Peter and raise you a Jesus. Well, I won't raise him. You have the righteousness of God. That's your status. That's your activity. Before this, before we had the righteousness of God himself, equal standing with Peter, we had nothing. We were lost in the dark. We had no way of getting it. We were not okay. We weren't sort of in the dusk, getting there slowly, kind of seeing it. We were lost completely in the dark. We were banging into things, and we were pursuing things that did not last. But if Christ has now been revealed to you and shining in your hearts, then you now belong here and to him as an equal. You belong by grace. This is really good news for anyone in this room that feels like they don't. Anyone that feels less than worthy, less important, any of us who struggles with regrets or guilt. For any of us in a few moments when we say the liturgical confession, who just pictures the same thing week after week after week, this one thing. If I'd not done that one thing, I reckon I'd be okay. Or if I could just stop doing this one thing, I'd be okay. For anyone who's stuck on that loop, this is a big deal. If you have the lamp, you have an equal standing of righteousness before God. I wish I'd known this when I first started to explore the Christian faith. I wish I'd known that. Around the age of 21, a friend invited me to a Bible study at law school. It was called the, the Lawyer's Christian Fellowship. And uh, at the time, I knew very, very little of the Bible, hardly any of it. I had almost no doctrine. There was no sort of systematic sense of, you know, well, there's the Trinity and there's, you know, this, the, the fall and there's man and there's, there's justice and there's grace. I didn't have these little categories of, of, of Christian thoughts. I had almost no experience of the Holy Spirit. I had not seen the Spirit heal somebody. I'd not seen the Spirit gift somebody. I'd not experienced the, the, the sort of flow of the Spirit in, in healing and grace in my own heart. I'd, I'd, I'd I'd not lived as a Christian. I didn't really know what it was to be one. In terms of my behavior and my passions, therefore, and in fact, the entire orientation of my life, there was, if you looked at me from the outside, absolutely nothing at all whatsoever to distinguish me from any of my non-Christian friends. Big problem, though, and Peter will address this later in the letter. The big problem for me is that I'd been in churches all of my life. So I thought I knew it all. That was the problem. We started this Bible study. It was like God designed the entire thing to disabuse me of that notion because uh, I realized instantly we'd, I'd made a horrible mistake in going to this place because they were all jumping from Scripture to Scripture, back and forth, back and forth. And there's, they had the Bible in one hand. They'd often like saying, oh, I'm reading this Christian book at the moment. It's really great. And they'd be flipping through this. Like, well, it's a bit like you know, what Moses said. And then, you know, well, no, it reminds me of what Jesus said. And they were just going back and forth like this. And I'm like 
trying to find the contents page like this, you know, like hoping no one notices. And I, I just, um, I, you know, I was embarrassed. Now, in all probability, they didn't notice. Or if they did notice, in all probability, they didn't care. And actually, they were probably just pleased I was even there. And in, in all probability, my friend had told them the week before he was going to invite somebody, and they probably prayed for me before the meeting. Actually, now I know how church works, but at the time, I didn't know this. I just felt like an idiot. I felt like a fool. My friend said to me afterwards, how was that? I said, well, you know, it was a bit heavy for me. <laughs> you know, euphemism. He, of course, knew what was going on. And he, he said... He said, none of that mattered very much. None of those feelings mattered because he said, if I knew Jesus, then I had a faith of equal standing with theirs, and I belonged. And I couldn't understand it. It just didn't make sense to me at the time. How could I? Because now I know <laughs> that he was quoting this very passage of Scripture. And now I know he didn't go far enough. He could have said way more than that. He could have said way more than you have an equal standing with theirs. He could have said way more than you now have the righteousness of God. Look with me at how Peter continues this little introduction and we'll close with this thought. He could have said way more than that. Because Peter continues, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May that which is equal in status now start to abound in experience, he says. May that which is characterized in identity and activity with the Apostle Peter and indeed Christ himself now exponentially be multiplied more. More of that settled sense that you belong here. More of that settled peace that you know God and he loves you. More of that settled washing of grace that takes away that, that sort of repeat that loop, that skipping record of sin that condemns more and more and more. How is there more? There's always more. Because of Jesus. That's how. If you have the same standing with Peter, you have the righteousness of God, you have all of these things, it follows that you also have the same job. And now, there's more and more you're sent out to share this good news with someone this week. So I do leave you with this thought. You're about to go out on a night hike. So, when you do, don't forget your light. I do recommend one of these. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I just thank you for, for the, the depth of beauty of the imagery that we find in Scripture this notion of the lamp shining in the darkness, and we give you praise for shining it here. Would you please shine that light in our hearts? Speak a better word over the, the voice of condemnation. Thank you, Lord, for the good news. In the name of Jesus, amen.